Hey, welcome to episode number 165 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your host. I've never been to prison, but my goodness, ah, the letters from prison, Paul's letters from prison have shaped my soul and impacted my life and our church in, in so many different ways. So this is kind of part two of an introduction to Paul's letters from prison. We're going to start with his first known prison ex- experience because, I don't know, I, I think it it does so much to form and shape his perspective on jail time, what God can do in a prison. So we're going to look at a story found in Acts chapter 16. And and rather than like I normally do, just reading all of the scripture once, I'm just going to read it interspersed. A little bit different this time than than the rest of them will be, but but for now, here we go. You know, in the summer of 2010, the popular author and atheist Christopher Hitchens was diagnosed with cancer, and with his usual candor, he described his battle with the illness. He said, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade and felt I'd worked hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married, to watch the World Trade Center rise again, to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? I sometimes wish I were suffering in a good cause or risking my life for the good of others instead of just being a gravely endangered patient. See, in in those words, what you hear Christopher Hitchens wrestling with was he was seeking a grander vision for living, whether you believe in God or not. That God has placed within our hearts the desire to live for a purpose, for a a grander vision. And this is what Paul found and was expressing when he writes, but my life is worth nothing to me. Says this in Acts 20, 24. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So here's the question that Paul gives us with his words and his life. Will I maximize my life by going all in for his mission? You know what? In today's age, especially in our country, the church needs to become once again a missionary church. And here's what I want to leave you with in the next 15 minutes or so of this episode. I want to leave you with expectancy, with a sense of expectancy. See, I think one of the things that shaped Paul's soul and his perspective to jail time was his sense of expectancy. What is it that makes one person open to God and expectant and, and the next person closed? What, what is it that gives Julie the eyes to see what God is doing while Joe is blind? Why does Sam keep running into divine appointments with God while Sally has nothing to share? It, it isn't gender or religion. It isn't culture or how well you've got it all together. Sometimes it seems like the least likely to be godly have the most God encounters. But I do think that at least in part, it's expectancy. I'm not talking about being filled with expectations. That leads to entitlement and cynicism. I'm talking about expectancy, a hope. Expectancy goes beyond knowing about God or even trusting God with my life. Expectancy is faith on tiptoe. It's the wide-eyed smile of, of a little child waiting to come down the stairs on Christmas morning. It's more than a belief that God can do something. It's the anticipation that he will do something, is doing something. I've been a pastor for about 30 years, 35 years. 
I've met with Christians around the world, multiple cultures, multiple ages, multiple economic circumstances. I, I've seen seasons where great God stories were in the works and seasons where it all seemed dry and hard. I've been in services, worship services, where people literally ran forward for prayer and, and others where people were glued to their seats. And I don't know all the reasons, but at least one difference is a spirit of expectancy. When the church is expectant, God almost always shows up. When we get expectant, God starts showing up in the neighborhood, and our mission gains hope that God will do a new thing in our time. You know, in the last few years, I think part of the story is that God has been convicting me, convicting our church, I think maybe even convicting the church in America, that we've lost some of our expectancy in God. We've had an expectancy towards others, even towards politics, the economy. But we've lost our sense of expectancy in God's power and God's work, and I believe he wants to restore it. And I don't know, but I think Paul's letters from prison are filled with this amazing sense of expectancy, especially the story in Acts chapter 16. I hope this episode will just restore a little bit of that spark of expectancy to our hearts. Listen to the story in Acts 16. I'm starting in verses 16 through 18. It says, One day... As we were going down to the place of prayer, the we is Paul and Silas. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and and instantly it left her. Now this is the first sign, maybe the first step towards being an expectant church. An expectant church expects God to answer prayer. It says they were going to the place of prayer. This was their normal. They were going to the place of prayer. Daily, they were going to the place of prayer. This was their normal. The book of Acts is so filled with so much prayer that it's less about the acts of the church and more about the acts of God. For them, it was like breath. A prayer meeting was an adventure because while you didn't know what God would do, you knew that he would do something. When you pray, when you prayed then, you were expectant. Do we have a spirit of expectancy when we pray? A few years ago, I got an encouraging email from a woman here at Calvary. She writes, about a year ago, I was led to prayer walk my neighborhood and pray for a group of women and get together with that group of women to study the Bible. For a year, we've come together at this point in time. She said, for a year, we've come together. And God has literally opened our eyes and our ears, connected our thoughts and our prayers so much that it's impossible to write it all out. That's expectancy. And let me be specific. When when we get expectant about God working in and through us for others, for others, he loves to show up and show off. Not only does an expectant church expect answers to prayer, it believes in the power of Christ. With just a word, this woman found spiritual freedom, but what follows was hardship, right? Paul and Silas go from God at work to life in prison. 
Listen to more of Acts 16, verses 19 through 24. It says, Her master's hopes, this is the demon-possessed woman who has been who's gained spiritual freedom, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. Now, we don't like this one, but let me tell you this. An expectant church understands that it will sometimes suffer. Suffering and expectancy are not polar opposites. They, they, typically, they typically come together in the same place. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul talks about the suffering and the groaning of an expectant creation. Expectancy and suffering can go hand in hand. An expectant church doesn't run from suffering and does not see suffering as a reason to lose hope. In fact, get this, Paul lays out in Romans 5 that walking well through suffering actually creates hope. And that's what's happening to Paul and Silas. And in verses 25 through 28, the story continues. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Around midnight in the prison, after they had been beaten with rods, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why did he draw his sword to kill himself? Because that's what the government would do to him. That's what the Roman authorities would do to him if his prisoners escaped. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. There's been an, a miraculous answer to prayer. An earthquake has happened. <laughs> and, and, and the prison is shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. And they all stayed. Paul and Silas have been put in prison, not for something they've done wrong, but for being on the mission of God. They delivered a girl from demonic and economic bondage, but rather than being rewarded, they were beaten and thrown in jail. Just picture this. Paul and Silas are laying there. They're stripped naked. They're bloodied. They're black and blue marks all over their bodies. Not only beaten, but with legs and chains and stocks, they can't find a place to get comfortable. And as they lay there, they begin to worship. They begin to pray and sing. I mean, how does that happen? You can barely breathe without pain. It's midnight. You can't sleep because you hurt. You're stripped naked. Everything has been taken from you. Your clothes, your Bible, your comfort, your freedom. And they begin to worship. How does that happen? It happens because an expectant church believes that God plus nothing still equals everything. With all that they had lost... They still have everything because God plus nothing equals everything. So lying there with nothing, they had everything. And they began to think about the goodness of God. And they began to sing and pray. And what were they praying for? Listen to me. I do not think they were asking God for anything because they already had everything. I think they were telling God, thank you. And I think they were asking God to give them more opportunities to share the gospel. Why do I think that? Because if they were praying for deliverance, if they were praying to to get out of their prison, when the earthquake came, they would have run, but rather than running, they're captivated by the need of their jailer. Because you see, an expectant church cares for people with a sense of urgency. 
the earthquake comes, I mean, surely that was an answer to prayer for deliverance, God's reward for their sacrifice. They gain freedom, but then they see this man and they're arrested by his need. The jailer was ready to kill himself because the rule in those days was that if a jailer lost a prisoner, he paid for it with his life. So Paul follows (laughs) Jesus' lead by giving up his freedom so that another captive can go free. Just ask yourself as you're listening to this episode, what am I willing to give up because I urgently care for someone else? Will I give up my freedom to see someone find Jesus? In verses 29 through 34, the story continues. It says, the jailer called for the lights. He didn't believe him. He called for the lights. He ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. This is in verses 29 through 34. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. <laughs> you realize from that that moment in the story that, that not only were Paul And Silas, willing to stay in jail for the jailer, the jailer was willing to lose his life for his family because he let Paul and Silas out. See, I think Paul developed this conviction that God has a plan for the jailers in our prisons. See, I think Paul developed this conviction that God can do anything, even in a jail. I I know he kind of fell from grace, but I love the story that Bill Hybels once shared. He was on the Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan, all alone on a sailboat. (laughs) It was was summer, and it was his time to study and pray, reconnect with God and recharge. And and if you ever heard him speak, you you know that he did that best on a boat. And he had just pulled into a tiny harbor where he could tie up for the night. And as he was getting set for the evening, he pulled out his charts to decide where he would sail the next day, only to realize that he's only about 10 miles away from the campground he had attended as a teenager, the campground that carried a special memory in his heart because it was the place where he decided he made that first-time decision that he wanted to be a Jesus follower. A thought came to his mind and just wouldn't live. leave. He, he wanted to go stand on that hillside and celebrate that moment. So he walked into town, found a phone booth, and called the only cab company in town. The dispatcher was not sympathetic. Sorry, sir, it's too long of a drive out there. We just don't do that. Do you know anyone who would make the trip, he pleaded. Well, she said, I know a guy who's down on his luck. He'd probably do anything for money. If you want to take a chance, I can give you his number. It was four in the afternoon, but Bill's phone call must have jolted the guy on the other end from a dead sleep because it took a few minutes and a lot of dead silence before Bill could even understand his words. But 25 minutes later, the vehicle pulled in. And it was kind of hard for Bill to tell which one was in worse shape, the trash Ford Explorer or the guy behind the wheel. One was covered in rust, the other in tattoos, and it just looked rough. When the Ford stopped, most of the parts of the car that should have stopped with it just seemed to keep moving, but Bill was just glad to be on his way. Besides, the guy seemed nice enough. The fuel gauge was on empty, and when the man joked that the tank hadn't been full in the six months that he owned the Ford, Bill said, hey, let's go crazy. And at the next gas station, he had the man pull in, and he paid to fill it up. 
When they pulled out, the guy just had a huge grin on his face. A few minutes later, they were at the entrance to the campground, and Bill asked the guy to wait for him. He had to go and take care of something. He'd be back in about 15 minutes. Uh, As Bill relates the story, he shares the memories that just flooded his mind and his heart as he stood on that hillside, remembering a decades-old decision that changed his life. It was a night when he realized that his life up to that point could be summarized with the words, earn it earn it. His father had instilled in him a tremendous work ethic that applied the words, you earn it, to everything. You earn every penny, every good grade, every spot on the team, you earn it. And that night, as it came clear that his entire life had been about trying to impress God, pouring all of his efforts into proudly presenting God with good deeds, that night God got through with the message of grace. And, and that night, he just threw his heart open to God. With memories flooding his mind, he stood there and prayed, Thank you, Father. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for redirecting my life and giving me a great family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my for giving me a world-changing mission. Bill brushed the tears from his eyes and headed back to his rusty limo. His driver had been watching this whole scene, watching Bill stand alone on the side of a hill. You can imagine his curiosity. What was that all about? The guy said, you standing on the hill, it's a little bit weird. I figured you were going to meet someone, but you just stood there all alone. You you really want to know, Bill asked. The guy nodded, and Bill shared his story with the man. He explained how one of the most powerful spiritual experiences of his life happened that night, how he had grown up hearing about God and learning about church, but trying to earn it all on his own. He said, I learned on that hill that all of what I was trying to achieve would never get me into a relationship with God. There was a long pause, and then the guy said, well, then how the hell do you do it? (laughs) And Bill shared the same scripture that God brought to his mind that night, Titus 3, 5, that says Jesus saves us, not because of the good things we do, but because of his mercy. And and Bill just went on to explain how we need to ask Jesus to forgive us and, and how we need to decide to follow him and then just accept his gift. There was another long pause. The man looked at Bill, and his heartfelt words were, yeah, but look at me. I'm a loser. I'm just a loser. Could something like that ever happen to someone like me? And if you've ever been in a moment like that when someone cautiously but surely begins to open their heart up to God, it's a holy moment. You know, this, there's this current that just kind of runs from your gut to your heart, and I, I think it's a little bit of joy leaking out of heaven as a party gets started. First of all, Bill said, you're not a loser. You're anything but a loser. You're so important to God that he's been pursuing you since the day you were born, and you can have the same relationship with God that I found that night. It can happen to you anytime, anywhere. If you accept his gift of grace, you'll be made new, and he'll guide your life for the rest of your days. The trip ended. They were back at the marina. Bill got out of the Ford, gave his driver a generous tip. Before he left, the driver said this. He said, I I never would have guessed that today would turn out like it did. Thanks for saying what you said to me. You know, there's a pastor starting a new church right beside where I live. He keeps coming by my apartment saying this church presents the gospel message in a new way that I might actually like it. The pastor's a pretty good guy, I guess, but I've been too stubborn to go. This week, he said, 
Maybe I'll check it out. I'm sorry for being emotional, but stories like that just grab my heart. You know, I can, I can imagine this scene in Heaven's conference room. You know what? There's this, this guy in this little town in Wisconsin. He's had a hard life. Nobody really trusts him. He drives this old Ford Explorer that Jesus couldn't even heal, and he thinks he's a loser. Let's send someone to tell him he's not. Let's some, send someone to tell him that I love him so much. So God sent Bill, pastor at that time of a church of 20,000. God sent Bill to that man just like God sent Paul, <laughs> the future writer of the New Testament, the greatest missionary who ever lived, just like God sent Paul to some unknown, no name, common jailer. Doesn't that just give you a sense of expectancy? And later God would send Paul to jail again so that even more would hear of the amazing love of Christ. That's what the letters from prison are all about. Let me pray for you. Father, what would you just give us a sense of expectancy? That's the totality of my prayer. Would you just give us a sense of expectancy? Would you give an, a, us an expectant sense of caring and urgency to care for the people around us? Would you give us an expectancy that causes us to pray, that, that leads us to believe in the power of Christ? Would you give us a sense of expectancy by your Spirit? We need it. We so desperately need it. Would you give us that expectant hope that leads to travailing prayer for the people around us? God, would you wash away the discouragement and the anxiety and give us a sense of expectancy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.